0: Welcome to Canoe Creek Christian Church's podcast. Our mission is to help others connect with Christ, grow together, and go share Jesus with their world. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Drive. Our services are Sunday morning at 30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. You can also find our services online through Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening today. Be Now My Vision is a song that I think beautifully captures uh, some of the qualities of this series that we've been in, especially the, the focus on uh, learning about God's desire to be present with us and learning how to seek Him as the treasure, not the treasure giver. That's such a key component in the series. And, and then combining that with what we're talking about today, having the vision to see beyond the circumstances that I may find myself in, to see beyond the chaos of the world around us. Uh, It really fits well today because when this series was in my mind and we were working on it in November of last year, this is the sermon that I wanted to preach. And this is the sermon that motivated everything. Now, I would encourage, if you haven't been able to be here, obviously uh, every message we preach any given Sunday can stand on its own two legs, but I would encourage you, it's a good investment of 25 minutes, whether driving to work or mowing the lawn or something, to just use your iPhone to jump on our app or to jump in the iTunes store and look for Canoe Creek and you can hear our messages there as well. I think the messages in this series have been very countercultural to where uh, our culture is trying to take the gospel. And we need to bring it to just simply what Christ brought to us as the gospel and be really focused there. So anyway, uh, th- like I said, this, this sermon was what kind of inspired and motivated this entire series. Um, as we get started, I was just thinking about what most of us would envision a nice beach vacation looking like, right? It probably looked like what's on the screen here, uh, very serene and perfect and uh, you know, calm oceans, the sound able to put you to sleep, but sometimes the ocean looks like this, which is very different. Uh, the waves are heavy, it's the ocean's angry, and there's a lot of turbulence going on out there. Uh, in fact, we're Floridians, and so we can remember back to 2004 for those of us who were there during that time, and we had, uh, what, three hurricanes come right through us in one year. but And probably, like, we're woe is me, right? But do you remember what happened in 2004 as well? Uh, there was an earthquake below the Indian Ocean that sent a tidal wave to 14 countries and within a matter of minutes killed 230,000 people. The ocean for many years has been a symbol of chaos and and mystery uh, to you know, people all over the world. And this is reflected in literature, and it's even reflected in the scriptures. Uh, the Jewish people who lived in that Mediterranean area and belt would see the sea as uncertainty, chaos. It's where evil and other things can come as a result. And this is reflected, in fact, in how John wrote his last letter, the, the letter titled Revelation. And when he talks about Uh, The sea is symbolic to evil, and in chapter 21, the sea is cast out of the presence of God. Now, I've already had a conversation with God. There is going to be surf in heaven, so it's just a metaphor, okay? And the image, though, is that there's no evil that can stand in the presence of God. There's no evil that will be in the eternal uh, presence of God. And as we think about that and how it's viewed and how it's seen, there can be a lot of chaos and struggles within our world, but it's not just Revelation where we read about this. In fact, the Bible starts out with it. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There is this picture of mystery, of darkness, of chaos, and the Spirit literally, the terminology here is quaking over it with God's creative ability to take what is chaotic and what is formless and what is void and what is meaningless and bring life to it and bring order to it. And that's exactly what he does. If you look at the creation account, you see this constant movement of there was this but now there's this. There was this but now there's this. All the way to the point of there being a garden that is in perfect peace, in perfect harmony, where you can dwell in communion with the the mighty God who creates all that we see out of chaos he brings order and peace and perfection and and we know the story that Adam and Eve unfortunately chose to break communion with God and as a result plunged humanity back into the chaos to such a degree that we see the chaos influence our lives and situations and circumstances even to this day but look at the scriptures and how God has demonstrated his power over the chaos of this world. You know, when the powers of the chaotic sea literally flooded the entire world, God demonstrated his power over it through Noah in the ark. When Moses was leading millions of God's people out of uh, Egypt, Uh, He stood between the Red Sea and an army that was about to annihilate them, and God demonstrated his power once again over the mystical and chaotic powers in that instance of the Red Sea by splitting it so they could walk through. David, when he's talking about being overwhelmed by evil and his enemies in Psalm 69, uses this kind of terminology, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. When the seas are pounding the disciples' boat and Jesus is asleep and they're afraid, Jesus gets up and he demonstrates power over the seas by just simply exclaiming, Peace be still. And his disciples see this and they say, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All throughout history, we may just see a a story here or a story there, but what we see is real events recorded for us for, for thousands of years and generations to demonstrate that even though we see we're in a world where there is chaos, not as a design of God, but as a failure of humanity, that God has power to influence, to overcome, to defeat the chaos. This is the scriptures put together for us to help demonstrate this over and over again. God has power over the chaos. Hope, the idea of hope is complete separation, difference from despair. And yet we live in a world that is full of despair. There's all kinds of despair, or there's false hopes, you know. Um, Despair is seen, I think, in our creative industry. I I tell you what, it seems like every week they make a new movie that's a dystopian theory, right? Like it's the end of the world and somebody's got to overcome this. It's, It's always about everything ending and yet the hope in those movies is never really rightly placed. It's always put in our ability to accomplish or to do something at the end of the day. But apart from God, apart from the gospel, people have no vision for hope. This is why the church is so important. This is why preaching a proper gospel, the right message, and creating the right kind of Christian community is absolutely essential to the world because people need hope. People need to have a clear vision of hope. People need to see that, that, that God may provide us with many amazing things in this life, but he's the treasure. And and the gospel is the only thing that brings us to see that. You know, last week I shared with you this illustration of when my wife and I went on this special date and we swung with trapeze artists and I described how I got to that point where I was able to let go with my legs and fly through the air and the guy caught me in midair. And I would define that as hope, that moment you let go and you have faith that that person on the other end is going to catch you. When you're in midair and you're just not sure and you're looking forward with a vision of what's coming, that's hope. And, and that's what God gives us over and abundantly in demonstration and the display of his power. Sky Jathani in his book with reimagining our life with God. He offers uh, that Christian uh, perspective of hope. There's the fall. There's the redemption. And then we see this beautiful picture that happens within redemption, that is that God is preparing a place for all those who place his faith in them. And this is, this is the big cosmic view of, of how a Christian sees hope, you know, and, and God presenting and providing that hope in stories like Noah, like Moses, like Jesus, calming the sea. Evil and chaos are overcome in this new creation, this is the cosmic view, but it also, for it to be really palatable to us, I mean, I know we get that, we place our faith in that, it has to be on a personal level as well. Not only is it a a cosmic level, we see that big picture, but it's on a personal level as well, because all of us ask this simple question in our life, what are the events and accomplishments of my life? Do I matter? Do I have purpose? This is just a simple reality of every human heart. We long for significance. We long for when we are plunged into chaos and and struggle and turmoil, we long to know that it's not void and worthless and without some sort of meaning to it and without redeemable qualities. We want to believe that there's even hope in that, just like there can be hope in the absolute execution of the greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth, I want to know that there's hope in my suffering. I want to know that there's hope when evil tides rise up and tsunamis come in. And God is powerful in providing that hope for us as well. And so we ask this question, you know, Is my life significant? Does it have meaning? And our heart longs for that. God made us that way. But here's where we can struggle if we're not careful is that this personal drive for significance and meaning can move us into a mutated relationship with God to where we end up living in one of those postures because we long for this hope so bad that we buy into a false hope, which is what our culture is really good at presenting to us, and sometimes we're good at buying into. And I'm not going to go through all four like I did. Go back and listen to the first two sermons in this series, but just really briefly, the life under God postures, a life of moral certitude is our anchor. What does that mean? Basically, it means obedience to God's commands is my Savior, It's my salvation. It's my hope. That is, I'm so fearful of God that I I learn how to live a life to try and be perfect. And and we even get mystical in our minds to think that this bad thing that happened in my life is because I did something that I shouldn't have done, something that was morally off. And there certainly is causality and sin decisions. But I'm just talking about a very mystical way. We just get this position where, but if I can just be obedient if I can just follow the letter of the law, if I can just do things just like I'm supposed to do things, then I can have hope. That's the life under God posture. The life over God postures God's word being just this set of principles that if I get the formula right, you know, seven steps to the perfect marriage, uh, three things I can do to have the best kids, and you just keep on naming it, right? So then my principles and my formula, if I get that right, that's where my hope is. Uh, the, the life from God posture, the self where self-actualization is my purpose, that is, fulfilling personal desires will lift me up out of the chaos and the mire. If I just have this, if I just have that, if I can live this kind of life, if God provides me with this here, that's my hope, and everything's going to be great. Or the life for God posture. My hope is really rooted in my mission. Whatever it is that God has setting me out to do, yeah, i got to do it. Come hell or high water, i got to get it com- completed. That's, and if I don't, then you know, with any of these, if I don't, what, what's the result? Well, I don't have any hope is the result. But when my hope is in the fact that God is present with me and God has provided and promised to me things that I have found that I am incapable of doing for myself, because these external constructs, or any other, right, it could be over, under, for, or, or from, or something else, are how so many Christian people are trying to find hope in the midst of a chaotic sea. And I think it's why a lot of people are really wrestling with you know, being a part of the church community, pressing into their relationship with God, it's why we see more and more people statistically not getting engaged with a church family because I think that we're losing vision for what the gospel does in our life and the kind of hope that it ultimately provides for us because none of the constructs that this world gives us, whether it's something I've mentioned or something else that we create, can withstand the chaos of this world. Sooner or later levees break. Sooner or later, hurricanes come, and and none of of the constructs of this world can survive the chaos of this world. Think about the the male or female athlete who they're they're a professional athlete their whole life, and then they experience a uh, life-altering injury. They can't play their sport anymore. Where's their hope? Uh, Think about uh, the, the retiree who is caught up in a stock market crash. Where's their hope? Uh, Think about the homeless mother who's trying to find a place to live. Where's the hope? Where does the man or woman who's nursing a sick or dying loved one find hope? And where does a man or woman who's being rejected by their spouse find hope? You can go on and on and on, right? Suicide statistics uh, fluctuate, obviously. But generally, over a course of time, we've seen that suicide statistics are always higher among older people. I know we don't, we don't normally know that or think that way because we always hear about suicide among young people because it is one of the leading causes of death with younger. But per capita in number, it's always more who die by suicide who are older Think about it this way. One person put it into really great perspective. They said, take a, a three-by-five, stack of three-by-five card, and, and just start writing on each card. Write down something that it makes your life meaningful right now. Relationships, activities, family, accomplishments, work, memories, you name it, right? And if you're type A, put them in you know rows on the table in front of you. If you're B, just spread them all out, okay? And... Just start thinking about it. What stage of life will I lose this one? What stage of life will I lose this one? And of course, sometimes we can lose them when we never even expected or anticipated as well. And, and then we can see as you start to remove all those things, when people have their hope built into their circumstances, they're in trouble. They're setting themselves up to fail miserably and terribly. What's the point in this? Well, I believe that the point is summed up best by a quote from Sky Jathani in his book. He names it really well. He says, hope requires a sense of purpose and dignity. So important. A belief that we matter and that our life has value. But in a world of chaos, this hope cannot come from our own circumstances our ability to control and maintain circumstances is just too feeble what a perfect statement and a serious truth but ask yourself the question how much of your hope for this or for that is bundled up in a circumstance Whether it be a relationship, whether it be a family, whether it be a job, whether it be a financial thing, whether it be a location, whether it be a home, I mean, I don't know, you name it, whether it be your health. And so often, our hope is bound up in one of those issues of circumstance that we are just completely too weak to manage or control because we live in a world that is trying to manufacture uh, false hopes and good circumstances all the time. You know, well, I'm going on a vacation. Well, I'm getting a raise. And these things become the things that we put our hope in. Listen, they're all great. God blesses us in tremendous ways, but there's only one place where our hope is secure, and and it's in God. When hope is contingent on our ability to maintain moral certitude and personal circumstances, all hope will be lost. It's not a potential. It's a definite. When I put my hope, when you put your hope in my ability, my moral certitude, or my ability to manipulate and manage the circumstances in my life, I am setting myself up for the biggest failure I can ever experience in this world. Because no matter how good we are or we can be, no matter how moral we can be, no matter how lucky I can be to maybe find myself or wisely put myself to where circumstances are good, sooner or later the seas rise. The chaos comes, and the chaotic takes over. And what about those who are not good at conforming? You know, we're talking about a relationship with God when we're talking about the presence of God in our life. And what about the people who just don't fit the mold? You know, I think there's so many people that are not sitting in this room today just because they've been told through cultural church experience that they don't fit the mold. And, you know, before you're quick to say, well, you know, look, you know, you got to act a certain way, you got to do a certain thing. If you're following Jesus, your life should be this way. Just be careful because you're walking a very fine line there of legalism. And also be careful because you're you're walking a fine line with something that's personal to me because the kind of people who don't fit the mold, those kind of people were my dad. And and I I watched as people like my father and others still to this day demonstrate in the most profound ways Christ-like attitude and how they care and love for others, but the problem is, is they just don't fit the mold. They don't live up to the kind of life that demonstrates the relationship as we define relationship. They don't fit into our perfect little vision of what you've got to do and what you've got to be to have God present in your life, but when it comes down to it, right, aren't we pressing on people? you got to have some sort of moral certitude. You've got to craft some sort of circumstances in your life in order for God to be present. Aren't we giving people the wrong thing to be hopeful in when we do that? And I think it's that very thing that when that, that wave comes that presses people away from God because they said they never said it would be like this. The church didn't tell me it would be like this. And yet the gospel gives us a very clear vision. I think it's really summed up in a great statement by Osgenius, the call, his book that he wrote, he said, first and foremost, we are called to someone, uh, not to something or to somewhere. We are called into relationship with the Father, we are called to allow his presence to be with us, us in him and him in us, and so often we call people to something else. And yet, this is what the Scriptures have always called us to. Neither our circumstances, behaviors, moral struggles, or anything else is the reason for hope. It is our unity with God. This is the reason for hope. And here's what I'm saying, and if you don't get anything else, get this. Your significance, your value, your hope. It's not found in what you do. It is never going to be found in what you accomplish. It will always be found in who, is, in who you are with and who desires to be with you. Don't miss it. When Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, it didn't matter what kind of chaos was going on around the boat. It didn't even matter what was happening in the boat. What, what mattered was who was in the boat. And God has made his presence available to everyone. And we need to ask, how am I eliminating myself from that? How am I getting too involved in institutionalized religion to where I'm excluding and how I think and how I see other people from that promise that is made to everyone in humanity? How am I trying to put some sort of mold on myself or somebody else that you got to look this way, you got to be this way, you got to do this? to tell them that they don't fit in the story that God is crafting for everyone. In a world where controlling our circumstances is impossible, our hope must come from the one who has control over the chaos. When our hope is anchored in anything other than God alone, our expectations will fail us miserably. That's why I think that this is one of the best verses, and I can only read part of it. I would encourage you to read the rest of it. It begins in Hebrews chapter six, verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. He goes on to write about Jesus. I would encourage you to read the rest of that as you are able to this week. I, I don't have a specific application. Simply, sometimes, you know, each week I'd like to say, hey, try this, do this, make this a part. My, my only application this week is that you are encouraged to have hope. That you are encouraged to look beyond the, the chaos that you may find yourself in, whether it's in this very moment or it's something past or it's something to come. Um, A friend of mine shared something with me years ago that I've shared before, and some of you will recall this. I think it's a perfect illustration, though, for the idea of hope. He talked about moving from the north down here to the south, and uh, they they found out there's things called swimming pools and, and lakes in Florida. And so he took his two daughters to go swimming for the first time, and he had learned that the way you teach a child to swim is throw them in the pool. And so he threw his daughter in the pool and she sank to the bottom. He jumped in, grabbed her out really quick, you know. Then he found this place called Walmart. He went and bought floaties, put them on his girls, blew them up. His daughter, who wasn't traumatized by his uh, ignorance of how to learn how to swim, uh, just jumped right in the pool, no problem, swam great. His other daughter was a little bit more clingy, uh, as you could imagine. But he said after some time, she got to the point where he could let her go, and she'd swim around and float on her floaties with her by herself, and he could even get to the point where he could take and put his hand on her head and, and push her down under the water and let her bounce back up, and every time she'd bounce back up, she'd smile. This is a great picture of hope. No matter how much the chaos of this world will submerge us, we will always surface. And our father will always be there, because his presence is a promise. Don't let institutionalized religion, don't let people's ideas of relationships with God, don't let any formless void of this world or false gospel of this world steal that from you. You have that hope as an anchor in your soul when Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word the encouragement of what you have done for us and how you've demonstrated your promise. And so, Father, we ask that you just help us to continue to have clarity of vision, to see your your desire for us, your love for us, to see what you've done for us, uh, to see how you've given us the freedom to have a relationship with you because of the grace that you've poured out that your son was perfectly moral uh, that your son has given us the righteousness that we need and I pray that that would motivate us to see our lives differently it motivates us to see our decisions and our actions differently it would lift us up as your love can only do and we pray this in Jesus name amen